And I was in this insufficiency paradigm. Everyone around me was in this insufficiency paradigm. You know, I was, I was in a culture where if you hadn't IPO'd a company, if you hadn't made your $10 million, you weren't going to make it through. You're listening to It Gets Late Early, a show about the experience of getting older in the tech industry. I'm your host, Maureen Wiley-Clough. Let's dive in. Welcome to It Gets Late Early. Today I have with me Jeff Hamui, and he is one of the co-founders of the Modern Elder Academy. After a long career in places like Nike and Ikea and NASA, I mean, quite quite the resume there, Jeff, uh, you have embarked on something really, truly extraordinary. And I'm just so glad you decided to come to the show. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. This should be fun. Wanted to pop off here and, and start the conversation uh, around, you know, I really feel like older people are having their moment in the sun and I love it. I'm so here for it. I saw that Wiser Than Me, the podcast by Elaine from Seinfeld, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's podcast was the top podcast of 2023. And I was like, man, this is such good news. And so I think that there's really a shifting narrative and a changing mentality around getting older, which I think is so beautiful. And that's why I really think you should explain to us exactly what is the Modern Elder Academy and how did it come to be? Because it's it's really something that I think is necessary. And I, I think it's about to have the perfect moment and backdrop societally Mm -hmm. Uh, and just on that kind of demographic and on that kind of moment in time that you're mentioning even from a business perspective right people over 50 representing eight trillion dollars worth of market potential market cap um, it's the highest concentration of wealth in human history both in absolute and relative terms in the u.s this incredible amount of money in people over the fif- over their 50s. And from a market perspective, we consistently look at people in their 20s and 30s rather than thinking about, well, where is the money? Who's spending mm-hmm. it? And how do we p- create products and services that speak to and appeal to them? Um, yeah, so absolutely. It's not only are older people getting maybe a moment in the sun, I think a lot of the younger people that was sort of saying, huh, older people are not smart. You know, you remember Mark Zuckerberg's statement that young oh, people are just how smarter. Could how could we forget <laughs> yes. Marky Mark? And now Marky shit, Mark, Mark, bless him, Welcome. he's older, right? <laughs> and so he's exactly. now like, Welcome oh, to the crap. club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did say that. Damn it. I did. I did. <laughs> Didn't age and well. <laughs> as a comment, it, but it also kind of, puts boots on this idea that it's like, wow, whatever we say or whatever we think, it's coming for all of us, mm-hmm. right? I know you've heard this a million times. I, I was listening to your podcast with Carl and thoroughly enjoyed that. Carl, by the way, teaches at the Modern Elder Academy at MEA. Oh, so he's, he's one of my favorites. He's, he's excellent, 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 really prov- yeah, profound awesome. and provocative thinker. Anyway, So what is MEA? MEA is the world's first midlife wisdom school. And what is is a midlife wisdom school? What is that all about? Really in its sort of, in its easiest terms, what we're trying to do is point out the fact that we are living longer, right? um, 
I know you've probably run through this data a million times, but let's go through it again. In 1900, you were likely to live till you were 47. Um, now you're likely to live in America. If you've reached 40 or 50, you are likely to live into your mid 80s. We've doubled adulthood. In the last 100 years, we have doubled adulthood. But what we haven't done is double our thinking on what we could do with our lives, right? Um, and I know that in tech, this is particularly acute, right? The sense of like, crap, I'm 30, 40, and I've aged out. But it's universal, right? Wherever we are in the world, whatever we're working at, this sense that in our 40s and 50s, we need to have, that we're at the end of something, needs a radical reframing. And it's like, no, when you're 50, if you take 20 to 50 as your first adulthood, when you're 50, you are entering into your second adulthood and you've got the same amount of time again. So just take that thought and say, okay, let's create a place for people to come together in their 40s, 50s, 60s and talk about what it might be to reframe aging. If society hasn't done it, what do we have to do to do that effectively? How do we reimagine our mindsets? How do we reimagine our plans, our thinking, our attitudes towards things like learning, trying something completely different? How do we imagine ourselves as our own parents in our second adulthood, which is a super juicy idea, right? It's like, gosh, my, my parents did it the first time around. I'll do the second adulthood. Thank you so much. I'll take the second adulthood. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we've learned so much over the first, right? So we're we're really yeah. well poised to to move strongly into the second. Well poised and in need. So I think mm -hmm. a lot of the research and the science and just our own anecdotal kind of experience is as we get older, we do transition. We move from that kind of acquisition, acquire, look at me, all of that kind of thing, to something that is trying to be more connected, more soulful. Um, in, in sort of Freudian terms, it's a, it's the move <laughs> from ego to soul kind of thing, right? It's that, that it, there's something going on at this age that also requires us to sort of say, at that midpoint, at that 50 point, to say, what am I doing? Does it align to what I care about? Does it align to who I am? So yeah. to set up a midlife wisdom school is to basically set up a space for people to come and have those discussions, to have those conversations. I love that. And I think the face of education is changing just altogether across the board. And, and so I think that's a beautiful embodiment of it. And, and I think the concept of, of two adulthoods is one that I'd really love to hear more about and, and see more out in the world. So I think what you're doing is, is really fantastic and that we, we do have so much more to go. Like it, it blows my mind. I mean, people, people keep saying, you know, 50 is a new 30. It really, it really is. <laughs> we have so much more time and we're moving into, like you said, I thought so beautifully, the soul part where we are less about the ego, less about me, me, me. We've tried a few different personalities on for size. We've tried to do, do a few different things, taken a few different paths. And we, I feel like at least for me, I can speak for myself at 41. Now I'm more assured of myself. I know what I want. I know what I don't want. And I feel like totally empowered by that knowledge, that self-awareness. And in a way that 
it just frankly wasn't possible for me when I was testing things out in my early 20s, right? Um, so I really do think that it's more than anything else, like a very hopeful thing to understand that we have the ability to shift and move into different places in our lives, whether they're career paths or, you know, in, into different sort of interests and and test and create and all of that. And I, I just, I think that's really a hopeful and positive thing. You said something that's really important. You said self-awareness, Mo. And when you're teaching someone or when you're working with someone in their second adulthood, you're not working with a kid, right? You're not teaching them wisdom. You're not teaching them anything in many instances. What you're doing is you're creating space for them. Um, my partner, Chip, has a, a definition of, of wisdom, which is wisdom is metabolized experience, um, kind of mediated or moderated by compassion. So experience and compassion, that's kind of the, the piece that interests me about his definition. I'm, it's too wordy for me and I can't quite get my head around it, but I do love that he has a definition, right? Mm -hmm. the, the piece I love about that is that you have to take your experience and metabolize it. You have to kind of process it to turn it from knowledge to wisdom. And I think, I think creating a, a school for people in midlife is not about sort of saying, here are the 10 things you need to know and the 58 hacks for becoming <laughs> wise, right? It's like, how do you metabolize yourself? How do you become aware? You said self-knowledge, self-awareness. How do you pay attention to yourself? So we, we, we split our curriculum into three different parts. The, the first part is transitions. Um, I'm, I'm a transitions dork. It, <laughs> I can't even believe I'm <laughs> saying those words out loud, but I've become a transitions <laughs> dork in my life. Um, we, we did a ton of research, ton of writing, ton of thinking, and now tons of teaching uh, uh, and work with people in transitions. So here's, here's the sort of the first high level fact. Um, Bruce Feiler in his book called A Life in the Transitions talks about how in the average adult life, we'll have 36 transitions. We'll go through 36 life transitions and three what he calls life quakes. So if we go back to that math, right, adulthood is, is 60 years long, um, 65 years long, let's say, let's hope. That is a lot of transitions, right? We're doing one every 18 months or something like that. And what is a transition? A transition is something that happens after a change. Your life changes. You lose your job. You lose your partner. You lose your parents. Your kids leave home. You get a health diagnosis, whatever the hell it is. Transitions is how we handle change. That's it. And the way we handle change determines in our lives whether we grow or shrink. <laughs> You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of weird language, but you know what I mean? You've seen people who, as as they get older, they're kind they shrink. Everything becomes about what it is that they're defending and protecting rather than how they're growing, how they're gaining, how they're learning, how they're becoming, right? Um, you've met people in their 50s, 60s, 70s who are trying to prove to you that their experience makes them relevant rather than co-create with you or learn with you or share with you or grow with you. And so transitions 
how we transition generatively, how we make our transitions a growth opportunity is a big part of our work. So that's one chunk of curriculum. And we have weeks that are sort of dedicated to transitions that either we run or we have teachers come in and teach about. Hey, quick break here. If you or anyone you know are looking for a new tech job and you're aiming for a company that understands the value of experienced workers, sign up for our email list where we'll send you jobs from companies that we hand select as a fit for tech employees over 40. Go to itgetsleteearly.com and add your email. Now back to the show. Um, the next one is purpose. Um, in terms of how we age well, um, the sort of the three key factors of, of, of healthy aging, according to Stanford's um, Distinguished Careers Institute and uh, some of the research that they've done, a guy called Phil, Dr. Phil Pizzo did there. Being in community, so having having community these sort of pro-social behaviors i don't know if you watched did you watch that netflix show the blue zones the dan butner work oh i began it but being the add <laughs> person i am i have not yet finished it <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but Fair i'm enough. going to because it was really fascinating and i knew it's it had a lot really, of lessons mm -hmm. it does it does it does it does dan's one of our teachers and oh, one wow. of his findings is that the number of friendships that you have in your 50s predicts how long you're going to live. There's a there's a sort of a linear relationship between our social connectivity and our longevity. So number of friends in your Absolutely. 50s, long life. Literally, wow. it's as simple as that. So again, in terms of in terms of what predicts a long life, start off with community, well-being. Mm -hmm. Well-being divides between financial and physical. And we've all, mm -hmm. you know, we all go through our ups and downs financially. Mm -hmm. And because we're in so many transitions, oftentimes we get to this point of our lives and it's like, crap, I'm not where I thought I was going to be. Mm. Yes, I know that feeling well. <laughs> yeah, right. Especially, do you, you live in the Bay Area, right? I live in Seattle, actually. Seattle. Yeah, same, 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 same. Same, same. It's like, same, same. crap, I didn't. IPO and and you know, <laughs> you know. and make ten million dollars to just be in no. the middle class. It's like this is frigging ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's, crazy. Most, it's crazy. <laughs> it is completely it's, off it's the wild. hook. The math does not math. Yeah, the, the math doesn't match. <laughs> the math doesn't match our lifestyles. It's it, yeah. Anyway, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole. No, we could go um, for hours. <laughs> and then the third predictor of a of a of a long and happy midlife and beyond is purpose, having a purpose. Mm. And I don't know about you, I find that word and I've seen that word be sort of massively triggering for people. Yeah. What what is your purpose, Marine? <laughs> yeah. It sounds it's like oh it's Jesus. so big and daunting. Yeah. And you feel like you have That's to have right. a profound answer for it. And I'm like, my purpose is putting, you know, my kids through school, food on the table. Right. So like sometimes you're just kind of getting by. And I That's feel like right. we need to allow that too. You know, maybe you haven't yeah. found it yet. Right? Like Or maybe it this idea of a singularity of purpose either number one doesn't make any sense or number mm -hmm. two only makes sense in the rear view mirror. You know what I mean? Yes, it's when you sort of look through the through line of your life, you're like, Oh, right. I was building community and all of those things or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. So that then you can sort of reverse engineer it and say, I'm a community person, but in the moment exactly. it's like, I'm doing green development. I'm working at the, 
the you know yeah. at the Modern Elder Academy. I'm I'm an innovation consultant. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, from a purpose so- perspective. Yeah. So we talk oh, a lot about purpose. Mean. We yeah. You feel it. I think we all feel it. And I think we all get that sense of like anxiety when someone says, What's your purpose? And this is oh important that you know it. It's triggering. Because, <laughs> yes. It's, it's triggering for me. <laughs> that's why you'll have a happy life. If you don't know it, you won't have a happy life. And you're like, Oh Christ. Oh. I think the singular worst career advice that I've heard, and I've heard it spouted off constantly, is, well, actually less so these days, which I'm very heartened by, but is follow your passion. Follow your passion. Okay. What does that mean? My passion, it it turns out there are certain things that, that can come of passion that can actually make you money in some situations, but oftentimes there's not a direct line. Like you said, it's not from A to B. It's not super clear Mm -hmm. to the outside observer. And so for the longest time, I felt less than because I couldn't define singularly one passion that would be a driving force into Mm. a career for me. And like you mm. said, there are sometimes there's there's something that you can pick apart. You can realize that, oh, all the different aspects of the jobs that I've done were really in service of building a community and sustaining and growing a community. But that you, no one says like my, my passion is community necessarily. Like that's not something that people would necessarily come to on their own. And so I felt I felt like there was something wrong with me when I was young trying to figure out my path. I didn't know how to answer that question. And it really it really gutted me, actually. It made me feel like very insecure about myself, mm-hmm. which is, which is not great, especially in a society that basically suggests that you have to get it all done before you turn 30, you know, or right. you're, you're going to be a has done, has been rather. And, and honestly, society rewards depth and not breadth. Mm-hmm. Right. So I it's do. like, I'm a concert pianist. Okay. Off you go. You go super deep into that <laughs> thing and yeah. hopefully you get rewarded or I'm a, you know, I'm a, I've, Friggin' love Python or whatever it is, right? I'm a coder. I'm a. <laughs> that's my thing, and I go super deep mm-hmm. into that. You um, better pick yeah, one no, thing and just, yeah. That's right. But even then, God, is that your purpose? So a lot of what we talk about, a lot of what we think about, is what is, is there a more healthy way to look at purpose in terms of creating a purpose portfolio and thinking about purpose across the domains of our, you know, our professions our relations, our community, et cetera, et cetera. And again, what what I'm seeing in our work is how that kind of, number one, helps people tune into the fact that sometimes my purpose is my kids. Sometimes my purpose is my parents. Sometimes my purpose is to surf. Sometimes my <laughs> purpose is to whatever. And sometimes my purpose is to work. But if we can get those things more balanced and more in balance, and again, going back to your self-awareness, if we can pay attention to our purposes, right? I think we can also then calibrate for some of those big transitional shocks. Mm-hmm. It's like your job goes away. For, for many people, especially men, the job going away is this sort of catastrophic loss Absolutely. of relevance, right? community purpose wellness especially financial it's all in the work bucket and it's like crap i've lost everything that makes me healthy all at once um so yeah how do we balance that how do we have an awareness around that so that we can say okay you know i invest in my friends i invest in my whatever it is outside of my work so that i can be 
you know more resilient in a in a kind of a in a purpose in a purpose crisis so that's that's one of the areas <laughs> um i also just and just for the record because this is right on my head right now i'm fascinated with the idea that we're obsessed with growth and I think it, I, I think about this in terms of trees and plants all the frigging time. And if you could see my sitting room right now, it is littered with paintings and poems of trees in winter. Um, I'll send you, I'll send you a picture. Yes, (laughs) please do. I want to see Um, it. And this idea that we are obsessed with constantly growing and showing and being in bloom and being in blossom. And there are some people that can, right? You may be a perennial. You may be one of those trees that is just on all the time doing its thing. But but for most of us, also, God, what if we could embrace the idea that purpose and being on purpose might actually be being underground and just seeding and just germinating whatever's coming next and that that's okay too, yeah. right? You would be stunned at how often just having those discussions and having those permissions, people go, oh, cool. All right. I'm in transition or I'm, I'm sort of germinating. I'm, I'm, yes. It's okay that I'm not moving fast. And then the last pillar, the last thing that we think a lot about is wisdom. Um, and really, for me, wisdom is a way of saying, okay, so if this generativity, if this way of thinking and living and transitioning and being is a thing. Is there like a generative wisdom? Is there a way of living our lives so that we can create that attention so that we can transition well, so that we can be on purpose, so that we can be at rest, etc.? And what are the practices? What are the ways of making sure we attend to our own wisdom, our own sort of gifts, communities, friendships, really basic stuff and a lot of this none of it's rocket science right all of it needs time all of it needs attention all of it needs a moment between looking after your parents looking after your kids looking after your business looking after yourself just to say okay i'm going to take a week away and i'm going to spend time and and think about this stuff i love that and it sounds truly transformative And I imagine you've seen a great deal of progress in some of your students. Do you have a work issue you just can't seem to solve? Anne Morris and Francis Fry want to help you. They're leadership coaches who have solved problems at some of the world's biggest companies. Now they're sharing their expertise with you on their podcast, Fixable. No dilemma is too big or too small. Call 234-FIXABLE to fix your issues in 30 minutes or less. Really? Once again, that's 234-FIXABLE. And don't forget to tune into Fixable to hear their problem solving in action. Back to the show. Uh, let's back up. I want to know where the Modern Elder Academy is. Fair question. <laughs> By the way, we are moving away from Modern Elder Academy to MEA Wisdom, oh, a midlife okay. wisdom school. Thank you. Turns out that not many people instantly resonate with the word elder. Um, that, yes. Yeah. It's still it's got kind this, of, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's still the same idea, and elderhood and modern elderhood is still this idea of like, gosh, we're living longer. How do we make that better? Mm-hmm. Um, but but we're we're changing the doormat because, because a lot of people are like, oh god, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not an, an elder. elder. 
You're talking about That's someone right. else, talking about my parents, right? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, it needs a rebrand. Are, it, <laughs> I got yeah, it. Yeah, it's a sort of a gentle massage. It's like, let's yeah. go MEA wisdom <laughs> and then let's see how people kind of react yeah. to that. Yeah. People are the wisdom. Want, mm-hmm. Yeah. And honestly, when we explain elderhood to people, they're like, oh, right. Yeah, no, I'm on board with that. I'm just not mm-hmm. old. Exactly. Just, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. And that's our own internal monologue, right? That's our own ageism mm-hmm. monologue that we're kind of running the whole time. We are based in Baja, California. So in a tiny town called Pescadero that is on the beach. Mm-hmm. It is it is an astonishing, beautiful campus. Yep, exactly. I must go. I'm manifesting it. Here's the deal. <laughs> if if you can if you can make it down, I'll make sure that you, we can make it work for you. How Amazing! About that? I, I sign yes. me up. I'm in. Consider Whatever it, it takes. Checked. Yes, we'll maybe do an episode down there as a, as a quid pro quo. <gasps> that is an excellent idea. Okay, sorry. Continue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the thought the thought is it is that kind of a place where you arrive and you're like, oh my god, um, I found a chip is a hotelier by trade, right? So before he got into this sort of aging space, he was making beautiful places, beautiful boutique hotels all through the uh, Bay Area. And you arrive and there's that sense of, oh my God, I've this is just heaven. Um, it's very communal. It's very much like you're eating together with a group of people. You're moving through with a cohort. You're at a beach, which is a fascinating place to be in as much as beaches are inherently liminal, right? It's where land meets the sea. Liminality is that kind of betwixt and between. When we're in transition, when we're going through change, liminality is such a core part of that. It's like, God, I don't know what's coming next. I'm between one thing and another. So I love being in Baja just for the sheer symbolism and the natural beauty. It is ridiculously beautiful down there. I actually live most, I live half time there and half time in Santa Fe in New Mexico. And I'll explain why in a second, but it is the home of my heart. I love it. Mm, I'm so happy you found it. Oh my God. It's incredible. (laughs) And actually the only problem with Santa Fe, which is where our other campus is, we're opening up two campuses here in um in santa fe new mexico one is on a two and a half thousand acre horse horse ranch which is gorgeous like just outside of santa fe which is beautiful 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 and um one in town in santa fe but the first one will be march april may of this year we're going to be of 24 we're opening that one up and then and yeah we'll we'll see where we go from there very exciting that sounds tremendous. Well, you mentioned Chip Conley, and I know that he has a background having worked in tech at Airbnb, which is a beautiful story in and of itself. And, and actually how I heard of MEA Wisdom School because I read Wisdom at Work. And, um, you know, you certainly have a background working in the Bay Area. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you met Chip, how this all came to be, and how you wound up down in, in your home of your dreams, essentially, it sounds like, <laughs> which is so, so great. Yeah, there's a lot to say here. And there's a lot to say to this specific audience. I was living in the Bay Area. um, And I was right in the thick of it. I was working as an innovation consultant around sustainability around green business type stuff. So I worked with all kinds of companies, all kinds of governments. And then in addition to it, 
I was running incubator programs, accelerator programs for tech startups, for clean tech startups, for uh, biotech, uh, synthetic biology startups. I mean, it just went on and on. It was all that kind of high frequency, high kind of pace work where everyone was raising capital and racing to the finish line, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So we've all been there. Um, (laughs) You're one of us. You're one of us. (laughs) (laughs) We're definitely, it was definitely the world that I was in. Mm -hmm. And, And there was this sort of overwhelming sense that I, that to do well and to live well and to succeed, I was in the the heart. I was in the heart of it. I was in the right place, right? Mm-hmm. But then there was also all of this kind of corrupting thinking, and we touched on it at the beginning of the call. There was this kind of bizarre, hyperinflated sense of what was needed to be successful. I talked to you just before we started about a lady called uh, Lynn Twist and her work on the soul of money and. She has this sort of doctrine of sufficiency, which is if you build from sufficiency, um, you know what? I've actually got the quote right in front of me, so I'm not going to I'm not going to butcher perfect. her words. Uh, <laughs> yeah, suffering around scarcity is so deep that we're not aware of it. Scarcity is an unconscious and unexamined mindset that many of us are so unaware of that it is intrinsic. We we see scarcity in time, tasks everything, money, and so on and so forth. And her whole thing is this kind of deficit-based thinking leads to a mindset that's never quite enough. You're never making quite enough money. You're never kind of... Got to get mine, yeah. Yeah. And her whole kind of aha was like, what if I shift my mindset to sufficiency, Mm. that I am sufficient, that what I'm getting is sufficient, that what I have is sufficient? Oh, Wow. The reverberations of that, if we all had that mentality, can you imagine? Wow. Yeah. Shall I give you another Lynn Twist quote? Yes, please. Apparently. (laughs) Apparently she's quite the wise one. (laughs) I love her. She's amazing. Um, If you let go of trying to get more of what you don't really need, it frees up oceans of energy to make a difference with what you have. Mm. When you make a difference with what you have, it expands. So, So good. It was so good. And I was in this insufficiency paradigm. Everyone yeah. around me was in this insufficiency paradigm. Yeah. You know, I was I was in a culture where if you hadn't IPO'd a company, if you hadn't made your $10 million, you weren't going to make it through. It, it was just going to be too tough to have the things. And I know right. that this is a And who are you anyway if you haven't done that? <laughs> exactly. That's right. And you kind of failed. You kind of failed. I had a three and a four year old, my wife, I was traveling, my company was global. So I was traveling all over the world and my wife and I got together one evening and she had been to see a doctor Mm. and the doctor basically said to her, you have two choices. Um, She was suffering from anxiety and it had kind of become physically manifest. Um, Husband Mm. traveling, she was working and we had two young children, three and a four-year-old. Um, it was just too much. And actually, this was just at the kind of time of lean in. So mm, not only is God. it too much, <laughs> but there are all these archetypes of like super powerful women that are like, hey, I can do it all. Don't worry oh, about boy. it, right? Yeah, don't get um, me started on that book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so she 
she was told by the doctor you can either change your life or you can go on um meds yeah um, we can medicate you and there was just this moment God. where we looked at each other and we we're like crap what are we doing what are we doing that is so important to us that that we're going to medicate our way through it as a couple wow that's so, we just so said, much about modern life doesn't it right there it does dirty secret i then went and <laughs> talked to a whole bunch of my friends and they were like oh yeah my wife's on meds or i'm check, on check, meds check. or this check 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 across the group i was astonished i couldn't mm. believe how many people had taken they'd taken the red pill right this oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that kind of, of matrix bifurcation yeah absolutely so we're medicating ourselves through our lives just just to make it work just to make it happen <laughs> oh my gosh um, so we were like screw it let's go we went down to baja um we had a, a tacoma truck one of those sort of flatbed trucks piled the kids piled the dog and we just went and it's from san francisco to baja is a thousand mile drive and it's actually a spectacular drive if you've ever if you've never done it it's it's stunning it's i empty. think i might follow baja, you down to baja based on what you've just described but keep going please <laughs> do it there's it's it's astonishingly empty and sort of that physical natural emptiness and beautiness beautiness beauty i like it kind of i'm going with it beautiness <laughs> beautiness works on the soul right <laughs> five days of just driving Gosh. meditative right yeah. it's super meditative and on the way down i got introduced to this cat um chip conley um, <laughs> but before before i get to chip mm -hmm. we arrive in baja um we set up and we're you know it's our first leg of our adventure we're going to go away for six months and just reset recalibrate decide what came next we arrive and i meet these kids i meet they're sort of stinky hippie kids right <laughs> um they're trimmers they're trimmigrants yeah yeah so they trim weed and then they kind of travel so they trim weed for two months and then they travel two brothers two sisters and the one of the brothers and one of the sisters is dating so the four of them have been hanging out for 10 years together in that 10 years they've trimmed together they've saved together and they've invested together and built sorry bought built 10 surf houses around the world Surf houses? Does that mean where yeah. you rent surfboards? Okay, I, I, I'm not they, surfing houses, literate. <laughs> how, okay, little house <laughs> where people go for surf holiday. Okay, cool. Right, so the four of them own 10 homes around the world in epic surf spots. They've mm. trimmed for three or four months a year. They surf, buy land, get a house built, and then they do it again. Rinse, repeat. They own these 10 houses. Sounds kind of and dreamy. <laughs> it sounds kind of dreamy. And I arrived and I was like, what the hell? These, <laughs> I, I, I'd sort of had this like superiority thing, right? You know, yeah. leveraging and scaling and running fast. Mm -hmm. And then these hippie All kids the weren't working. They'd, they'd made enough money. They had enough assets that they could live yeah. pretty simply and surf and do their thing and write their blogs and play their music and whatever the hell they were up to. And they were in their thirties. And I was like, crap, I've been fed a line here that there is a paradigm for making money and doing well. Mm -hmm. And these kids blew it out of the water. And I was so mm -hmm. impressed and I was so 
impressed, <laughs> depressed, suppressed. Exactly. All, all the, the things. All the things. Quick question about those people. Did they were they child free? Yeah, totally child free. Mm, yeah. That yeah. does that does help with the whole <laughs> anyway, yeah, the whole just, freedom just a quick thing. Side note. Yeah, that whole freedom thing. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of have to stay put once you yeah. Oh my. Anyway, continue. That's uh that's really interesting though, to meet someone who has done life completely differently from you and realize yeah. maybe they did it the right way and we have not been on the right course. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, we were again, it's like there is this pathway especially in places like the the bay area that is such a groove right it's like mm -hmm. to be successful you go to stanford business school you rack up mm -hmm. a bag load of, of debt you then go to a tech startup and you ipo and boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and if you don't check check those boxes on that pathway it's it's hard it's a hard place to be so, so just hard having the different paradigm was just like wow that's yeah. that was amazing to me great anyway, to have exposure to that yeah it was good. amazing it was amazing and then i was all like excited because i was like oh my god i've managed to find a way of taking six months off aren't i clever <laughs> yes you are <laughs> everyone down there everyone down there that i met americans canadians had worked out a life and a life model where they could work for six to nine months, spend six to three to six months in Baja. So it was a real, it was a real to the core, like shake up for me. Um, I met this guy, Chip, Chip Conley. Um, he, he was, he'd just written his book, Wisdom at Work, and he'd sort of shared the galleys with me um, and said, hey, I'm doing this thing, turn up, turn up for the first week. It was kind of hippie, if I'm really honest, mm -hmm. but there was a whole bunch of sort of wellness stuff and, Dudes in white smocks and feathers and, oh, wow. and meditation and all the things. It was it was pretty intense. And you know, that kind of in the wellness world, I don't even know how to classify it sometimes, but that kind of self-awareness world, you get people who will sort of stare deeply into your eyes and ask you what your practices are, or they they'll be there's a sort of a an incredible sincerity around the whole thing, but also a whole bunch of defensive language i feel like that's like mm. are you part of this gang do you know how to meditate do you know how to do all of this stuff are you a yogi are you one of us kind of thing that, are you one of us interesting yeah. yeah which i found incredibly threatening and alien alienating in as much as no i'm not you know yeah. that's this is <laughs> no. not my bag baby <laughs> i just came from so silicon my, valley look at me that's, yeah. that's right i'm tired i'm exhausted <laughs> and i'm overworked don't yeah. meditate. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, I did my week and I left and it was interesting. You know, as I said, lots, lots of white clothing. And then I got did a call. Did you come with feathers too? Were you, I by had the no end, feathers. Did you, okay. Okay. Just wondering no how feathers. far you assimilated into this group during I, that week. I didn't, I didn't get it. <laughs> you are such a kook. <laughs> we... <laughs> We, we, um, I, uh, I left, I get a phone call the week afterwards from, um, Chip's co-founder, a lady called Christine Sperber, who's like, uh, are you still in town? I was like, yeah. She's like, we could use some help. Can you come and facilitate the week? Sure. So I turned up week two of my sabbatical, I guess, and started teaching at this place. You started um, working during your sabbatical. <laughs> Yeah, of course I did, right? That's, that's, <laughs> it's, it's deeply ingrained. <laughs> it's, it's deeply ingrained. 
And honestly, it was more than that. It was like, why the hell not? I don't know anything yeah. about this stuff. Why not? Let's jump in. It was kind of terrifying because I literally was in front of a room of 20, 30 people who knew a lot more about what I was teaching than I did. But simultaneously, I was able to kind of create this whole entryway, which is wisdom is shared, not taught. I'm not here to teach you. Guess why? Because I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> Does so, anyone? <laughs> no. So let's all share it. Let's let's work this stuff out together. I think anyone that sells you answers in this world is is selling smoke and mirrors ultimately <laughs> do the work do it yourself there are great prompts there are great provocations there are people with true wisdom to help us metabolize ourselves but ultimately it's on us to do that work and kind of coming from that angle of let's make this accessible let's make let's strip out all the bullshit all the language that doesn't invite people in let's try to create something that people, and we were getting all kinds of people because of Chip's background in Silicon Valley. We get a lot of techies, a lot of startup people, you know, men, women, all sorts. And we needed to take away a lot of that language. We needed to offer it more as a buffet of practices, of techniques, of ideas that people could say, yeah, that suits me. And no, that doesn't suit me. And so that kind of set our culture very much in that gave our culture a direction and our tonality a direction of sort of open, accepting, try it. it there's, there's, not a, there's not a kind of a, you don't need to become a certain type of person to do this, to eat off the menu. You know what I mean? So I think that's great. Yeah. Choose your own adventure. That's how I got involved. Choose your own adventure. Yeah. And then I started doing community development down there. So we built our first regenerative community in Baja, um, which is just coming to a close now. What does um, that mean for those of us who are not well-versed in regenerative anything? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Do you have another hour? Um, we, <laughs> crap. Okay. Next time. <laughs> uh, yeah, here we go. Here we go. Let's do... Um, Regeneration by Paul Hawkin, if you are interested okay. in this concept writ large. But in sort of small idea, first of all, community, as I told you, it's one of the sort of three determining factors of, of well-being, pro-social behaviors and well-being into midlife and beyond. So I was like, wow, this is fascinating. And given my background, I wanted to build tangible things that were sustainable, right? Mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to be in this sort of high-flown consultative work i wanted to be doing stuff on the ground um regeneration there's a there's sort of two ways of looking at it but essentially it's how do you bring systems back um how do you heal a system um and again in paul's book he says to regenerate a system you have to connect it more deeply to itself in terms of soil remediation that might mean like instead of putting chemicals on soil and killing everything that's under the ground, how do you work with the, the biome that's mm. in a soil to bring it back to life so yeah. that it can feed plants, so that it can look after, you know, you don't have to that. use pesticides, herbicides, right. all the things. It's, it seems sort of analogous to uh, preventative care versus just treating illness. Absolutely. And, okay. and working with the 
and working with the existing system to bring it back to life. Soil, soil is where this whole regeneration story started. Um, and, and there's some fascinating kind of work on, on how you regenerate a soil and in so doing how you create a different agricultural style that is far more nutrient dense. It can create far greater yields, sequesters carbon because all of that stuff underground is made of, is made of, um, carbon, right? Whether mm. it's roots or bugs or, you know, whatever the hell it is, mycorrhizal systems, <laughs> And so there's all of this, these proof points that what goes on if you look after the soil is, is highly impactful for climate, for the, sure. for the self and so on. So that was kind of the first, like, Oh my God, this is fascinating. Learned about it and I'm doing all this wellness work. And it's like, Oh my God, there's, there's absolute corollaries between what we're doing with the soil and what we're trying to do for ourselves as human yes. beings. How do we yes. replumb and reconnect to what it is that we care about? Put that all together. So that's that's the kind of the good news story about re regeneration. And as an idea, it's sort of spread. It's 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 kind of hip in the way that sustainability was twenty years ago, right? So you now have regenerative dentistry and all sorts. At heart, it is about how you heal systems, how you bring them back. And I think what's sad about regeneration, the sort of the hidden story of regeneration is just look at the simple word. Sustainability was about sustaining what we had. Mm -hmm. Regeneration is about bringing back what we've lost. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the sort of the environmental movement, that has been the trend. It's like we are no longer at the point of sustaining we're at the point of regenerating. And again, maybe to sort of try and wrap this conversation or not even wrap it, but just like pull these thoughts all together. One of the things that fascinates me about this generation, people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, we talked about this massive concentration of wealth. Mm. So we've got the wealthiest generation that are going to live longer and healthier at this age than anyone else before. They've, they've got this gift of a second adulthood. <laughs> and we're facing a set of global challenges that require time, connective thinking, um, and a degree of affluence. And I feel like if there's ever been a generation that could actually deal with it, this is it. This, mm. is, this, is, this is the one. And so how this work all ties to me, together for me is get people to work on regenerating their own soil get people to start to think about their purpose and wisdom and how fundamentally wisdom is about caring for yourself so that you can then go out and serve others and then connect them up to these bigger purposes something that is more meaningful than am i anxious am i stressed something that is more impactful in terms of, well, can I create a regenerative farm or can I mm. do something in my community? And it doesn't have to be dramatic. It, you know, it can be looking after dogs or babies or whatever it is that you want, but right. how do you connect to something greater than yourself? And at the end of that journey with MEA, <laughs> what, where I'd love people to be is in that balance between knowing how to look after themselves and be generative and use that generativity to have impact on their friends, families, communities, planet. Oh, 
Well, it sounds like it's mm. having a profound impact on the people who go and, and thus mm. will then spread throughout the world, the goodness uh, from people having gone. So, I mean, I, I'm coming to Baja. We've already decided. So the next episode is being it's recorded decided. there. It's decided. Yeah. It's done. Consider it done. Um, and I just, I, l- I could listen to you talk all day. So I'm actually really bummed oh. that we have to cut this off, which is again, another reason why I'm going to come to the MEA school. So it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. You. I need um, more Jeff in my life. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready Great. and it's mutual. It should be fun. Sign yeah. me up. Sign me up. Well, um, where can people find out more about you and MEA? MEAWisdom.com. Go to our website, check it out, have a have a look see. Don't don't be worried by the word elder. Um that's <laughs> it's you don't have to be old to be elder. Um and and you don't have to be old to start to think about how you want to age well. Yeah. You know, in fact, um, I, I wish I had been thinking about this a little bit more uh, before I turned 40, because, uh, you know, I think I would have been ready for what's ahead in, in a way that wasn't filled with the sort of like sense of, of despair, like what I'm what I'm losing, which is so ridiculous because there's so much to gain. And, and that's what part of this podcast is. It's, it's, it's ensuring that people know that there's a life ahead and that it's going to be better and don't buy into the lies. Like I'm happier than I've ever been at 41 and I'm better than I've ever been at 41. And I just want, I just want to spread the word. And, you know, to your point, we have a second adulthood in store for us. So let's mm-hmm. carpe diem, man. Like, let's go get it. <laughs> let's go have a good time and spread the love. Because like you said, it's not all about us individually. And people, I think, get into this process where they start thinking about, like, what is what is this all about for me? And it shifts over time to what is this about for other people? And what I loved about what you said was you know, it can be something pretty small scale. It can be on a micro level that you're having an impact. It can be your family. It can be your friend group. It can be your immediate community. It doesn't have to be bigger than that. And there's nothing wrong in having a life that is about those things that are on a smaller scale. In fact, there's a ton of beauty in that. And I think if we could just focus on what truly matters to us and what matters to the people around us, the world would be a lot better place. And to your point, we'd live longer because if you have friends in your fifties, you're going to live longer. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's an epidemic of loneliness out there. So I think the community you're fostering at MEA is also something of beauty. And I imagine that there are lifelong friendships made out of those cohorts. Right. And, and so I think that's, you know, maybe Endless. next time we get you on, let's talk about that because I think that is, uh, is incredible as well. And, and honestly, there is, there's a whole episode to be done on friendship as a practice. Yes. How do we build community? How do we build friendships? How do we do that in a way that we are more self-aware of, especially as we know that it's so critical? It really is. It really is. So thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom. Um, I will link all of your, uh, well, I'll link the one website that you gave me in the show notes so everybody can learn more about MEA. And I'm just so grateful to have had you. So thank you so much. You too. Thanks for joining us today at It Gets Late Early. I hope this episode was insightful and entertaining. Now, before you go, if you're old and work in tech, just like me, I have something really cool for you. We're putting together a job board specifically for seasoned tech workers, where we'll curate the best opportunities for experienced tech talent. If you want a place to look for work where you can trust there won't be so much bias in the hiring process, go to itgetsleteearly.com and sign up so you'll be the first to know when we launch it. Thanks and see you next time.